to be with you this morning. Sorry for the late mic there. That was me, not the sound booth, just so everybody's clear. Sorry about that. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. If you're worshiping with us online, you're in the right place, and we're glad that you're here. Boy, I tell you, I I am not going to make it through three services with my voice with that music set this morning. I could not stop singing. Normally, I tell myself, Ethan, don't sing, don't sing. You got a long Sunday morning. I couldn't do it today. What a great day uh, to worship God. And you already heard him read right where we are today, Acts chapter 3. We're moving through the book of Acts uh, for two reasons. One, to sort of remember how we started. We talked last week that when this church got its start, for the first two years, they studied the book of Acts. And then even after that, they continued to return to it again and again. And the other reason we're in the book of Acts is to kind of re-engage what we learn there about who the church is, who we are in God's purposes. And what we discover there is that we, God's church, we are God's plan A. For accomplishing God's purposes in the world today, we're plan A and there is no plan B. I'm so excited about this series. We're only one week in and already it's charging me up because it reminds me that the church matters. And we're better at being God's church when we remember that the church matters, that the church is the center of how God is moving forward God's intentions in the world uh, today. And last week, we kind of kicked off with just that, that big principle where they, the disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you going to do? And he says, actually, right now, the big question is, what are you going to do? I'll provide the power and I'll provide the presence, but you're the plan. And this week we're going to start looking at one of kind of the, one of the first pieces of that plan. The, the principle we're going to discover today in God's word is just this. The church is God's plan A to notice and care for the overlooked, the rejected, and the forgotten. We're God's plan. Most people, of course, overlook the overlooked. That's why they're overlooked. But not the church. Not when we're at our best. This is true of the church, firstly, because it's true of God. God does not overlook those who have been forgotten by our world. I, I love the story. I don't have time to go into it today, but you could go back and check it out in Genesis chapter 16, the story of Hagar, who has been kind of rejected and kicked out by Abraham and Sarah, and she finds herself wandering and alone, and God comes to her and says, Hagar, I'm going to take care of you. And God rescues her, and when she worships God, she says, you are the God who sees me. That's the name she gives for God. You're the God who sees me. And I love that truth about our God. And, and if you're here today kind of feeling like you've been overlooked or forgotten or, or ignored, you need to know God does not forget you. God notices the overlooked. And Jesus, of course, noticed the overlooked. Jesus had a reputation for stopping, recognizing, ministering to, loving, and caring for those that the world forgot and despised and ignored and rejected. In fact, it got him into trouble again and again, that when everybody else was ignoring people, he was paying them special attention. 
and honoring them and healing them and loving them and including them. So if God doesn't overlook people and Jesus doesn't overlook people, well, then the church must not because we are God's plan A to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And so if we're the body of Christ, we must be about the work of Christ, which means we must notice and care for the overlooked. Which is exactly what we see in remarkable fashion and with remarkable consequence in Acts chapter 3, the story that Nathan and Christian just read for us. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. It was prayer time, three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. He was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him. Or the translation read earlier, Peter looked at him intently. And so did John. They stared at him. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from him. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I love this story. Uh, this is one of the stories of the Bible that I, like, never forget. And the reason I never forget this story is because I was taught a song about this story when I was a little, little boy. So I wouldn't forget it. And you're dying to know what the song was. And some of you already know. It went like this. Peter and John went to pray. And they met a lame man on the way. He stuck out his arm and asked for an alm. And this is what Peter did say. Anybody know it? Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Some of you know that song? I, my favorite part of that song was uh, when I learned this song from a relatively strict old school Sunday school teacher, and I was a little boy, and my biggest challenge in this class was not paying attention. It was staying still. Because as she explained to us, you could not serve God unless your bottom was in your chair. That's what she told us every Sunday. Except during this song, the next part, we didn't have to sing. The next part, she would sing by herself because the next part goes like this. And he went walking and leaping and praising God, walking. And while she sang that, we could walk and leap and praise God, which in my interpretation at the time meant scream. So it was my favorite part of the song. And so I never forget this story because I have that song in my head. But that song, as awesome as it is, and as much of the story as it covers, it actually fails to mention the, 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 the first miracle of this story. It fails to mention the place where this story starts. 
And I wish we could talk about everything about this story and how powerful it is and how the gospel is more important than silver and gold and all the things we could say. But really right now, I just want us to focus on where the story starts. I want you to notice how Luke starts this story. Because this story starts when Peter and John notice the man. I want you to notice that they noticed, because that's where the story starts. What sets Peter and John apart that day is not just that they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. It's not just that when they prayed for the man, God answered their prayer, and by God's mighty power, the man was healed. It's it's not just that they were going up to pray. Thousands of people were going up to pray that day. The first thing that sets them apart is that they notice the man that others overlooked. I mean, you can picture the scene, right? It was the time of prayer. The place would have been packed. Crowds were moving across the road trying to get a place, a good place in the temple where they could participate in the prayers. That's why the lame man came there every day, not because he got good conversation, but because there was a good crowd. And we know what a crowd does as they walk past someone begging on the side of the road. Most of the crowd doesn't even see him, right? If they're there every day and you're there every day, you, you stop even noticing, right? Those that did see him quickly looked away, making sure they didn't make eye contact, looking down at their feet, up at the sky, talking to a friend, turning away. We know, right? A few would shove a handful of coins into his hand as they walked by to kind of let that be the end of the transaction. And don't forget, Peter and John were busy. They had places to go and things to do. This was a regular part of their ministry. We just read in Acts chapter 2 that every day they were preaching and teaching in the temple. They had work to get to. But they noticed the one that everyone else overlooked. And, and Luke, in the way he tells the story, he goes out of his way to make sure that we notice that they noticed. If we had a lot more time, we could do a fascinating study. Uh, in these two chapters, Luke chapter 3 and 4, which all tell one story, um, Luke uses dozens of different words for seeing He uses the kind of word that means glancing, staring. He uses the word that means see as in understand. He words the word that means see, that means kind of look over here, look at me, and look over there, look at him. He uses all kinds of words for seeing and staring and knowing and understanding. But I can't tell you about all of them, but I want you to look at the cluster of verses 3 through 5 and look at some of these different words with me. Because Luke is telling this story in a way to make sure that we notice that they noticed. Verse 3. When he saw Peter and John, and this is just the most normal way word for seeing, like he saw everybody else. This isn't special, right? It's like, ooh, Peter and John, they'll be an easy mark. No, he saw everybody. To everybody who passed, he stuck out an arm and asked for an alms. When he saw Peter and John, he asked them for money. 
But then in verse 4, Luke uses a very different word. Uh, This translation says Peter looked straight at him. The translation we read earlier said Peter stared intently. And, 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 And those are both pretty good. It means to study, to stare, to gawk at. I mean, picture them shuffling along and he stops. And just stares at him. It's an almost an awkward word. It's an uncomfortable word. And then what does he say? He says, you stare at us. Right? I mean, the verse 3 said he already saw him. That's not what Peter means. He means pay attention. Notice. I've noticed you. Nobody else stopped to stare at you. I'm staring at you. You look at me. And so verse 5, so, so he gave him his attention. And he was sure he's going to get money. This word where Luke describes Peter and John looking straight at him or looking intently at him, it's this really rare, really awkward word for, to stare at somebody, you know, like a stalker or something. Luke wants you to notice that they notice. Like God, like Jesus, they noticed the one others overlooked. And just being noticed, suddenly the man had hope. You hear that? You see that in the text? As soon as he knew that they had seen him and he had seen them, he was sure something good would come from this. Now, of course, the good he expected was a little bit of coin. And he got so much more. But the hope started not with the money or with the healing. The hope started with the noticing and the caring for the one that everyone else ignored. And the work of the church still starts here. The church is still called to be the ones who do not look away quickly or do not shuffle by with heads down. But the ones who notice the overlooked and engage, look at them intently and say to them, look at me. Let's see one another. Let us know one another. This, of course, is impossibly difficult, right? Because we are well trained by our culture to look away and ignore what we'd rather not see. I know I am. I mean, this isn't somebody else's problem. This is my problem. I am well trained to, to look away and ignore the overlooked, the desperate, the poor, the hurting, the broken, the forgotten, the ignored. But we can do it. It takes a little practice. It takes some planning, some intentionality. But the church can do this, and we must, because remember, we're God's plan A. I will say, just sort of as an aside, this is one of the reasons I love Black History Month. I'm not great at Black History Month. I usually don't remember it started until like the fourth or fifth day of February or whatever. But the reason I like it is because it actually does this thing. It forces me to notice the things I would otherwise overlook. I think that's actually kind of why it's useful for our culture is that it forces us to notice and research and think about the people and stories that otherwise, I at least, would overlook. Uh, As you can probably tell, 
For the last, I don't know, nine months or so, I've been studying the church history of East Tennessee so as to understand the history of this church, right? I mean, it's kind of, you you figured that out. I've been telling stories lately, that kind of thing. I didn't know those stories a year ago. I had to go learn those stories. And and this last month, I decided, I mean, this month, February, right now we're in, I decided, okay, I better study some of the stories of the African-American history of this region and the church. To make sure I'm not overlooking some stories I should have noticed. And boy, I tell you, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad for Black History Month because it made me stumble across a guy whose story I wouldn't have otherwise heard. We've got a picture of him, I think. Yeah, this guy's name. His name is Hezekiah Hankel, and he is awesome. As best I can tell, I may stumble across somebody else, but I've been studying this for a while. I think he planted more Restoration Movement churches in East Tennessee than anybody else in our history, this guy. He was amazing. Uh, A major figure in the founding of Johnson City and the development of Washington County in the late 1800s. And what made him so impressive and effective was that he noticed those that were overlooked and mistreated in our society. Hezekiah was an African-American, grew up in the Bruins Creek area. As best we can tell, uh, he was never an enslaved person. He was free from birth, grew up just north of here. And his whole life, he stood out as a bold, tough African-American leader who had a passion to care for those that were being overlooked. We don't know a ton about his life before the Civil War, but we know a lot about what he got busy doing starting around 1866 or 1867. I know we wish we could look back at our history and discover uh, that as soon as the Civil War ended, the churches of our region integrated and all races loved each other. But we know that's not what actually happened. But I want to tell you one good story in the middle of a lot of darkness The Christian churches of East Tennessee knew that they needed to care for the African Americans of our region. Now, I wish they could have done it by opening their doors, but they weren't able to do that. But what they did do was they hired Hezekiah Hankel. In five years, he planted four churches in Washington County and one in Greene County. He baptized over 300 people. During that time, he began to recognize that African Americans at the time were excluded from medical care. So he went and became a doctor so that he could provide medical care for them. And then he noticed that the Native American populations were also not getting good medical care in our region. So he opened clinics in Native American communities because they were also overlooked. Then he noticed that the educational system was not serving African Americans or Native Americans in our region. So he went off and got a license to start schools in the state of Tennessee and began to systematically start schools for African Americans and Native Americans until the public school system caught up. And for the rest of his life, starting in the late 1860s, basically all this guy did was find a place that was overlooked or ignored, or rejected. And he'd start a church, and start a clinic, and start a school. Again, and again, and again. And I'm so glad to know that our churches hired this guy, and ordained this guy, and trained this guy. And this guy got that the church was God's plan A. 
And that is what the church is supposed to do. While everybody else walks past the overlooked and ignores the ignored and rejects the rejected and despises the despised, the church is called to love, to notice to see them, to say, I'm looking at you. You look at me. And as we look at each other, we will know each other and we will care for one another. This is the invitation we have when we see a people or a community that is overlooked. Uh, we can do what Jesus did. Or if that feels like too much pressure, somebody said, I used the phrase, do what Jesus did. And they said, even that's too much pressure. I can never do what Jesus did. All right, great. Just do what Hezekiah Hankel did, Right? See people in need and go love them because we are God's plan A to care for the overlooked. And I just want to celebrate. Uh, this is already happening. You know, this is one of these things where even as it happens, we just want to keep getting better at it. I love, one of my favorite things about this church is how so many members of our church are strategically noticing the overlooked and then loving them in whatever way they can. I can't even list all the ways. I emailed Kathy Smith and said, just give me a short list of some of the ways that our people are loving the overlooked. And she sent me like this seven-page email. I can't read the whole thing, but she mentioned things like this. Oh, we've got people serving with families free, providing housing and training to moms to get back on their feet. People serving with the river, supporting moms with free laundry, diapers, Bible studies, friendships. People helping out at safe families. It's rescuing families from being torn apart by caring for kids while parents get the help they need. We've got people serving uh, with a melting pot. One of our Sunday school classes this Thursday, I don't know if you know this, but you're going to make 600 meals this Thursday for the hungry people of our city through the melting pot. We've got people serving with Coalition for Kids and Rise Up, and I could go on and on and on. And I just want to say, if you're already engaged in that way right now, thank you. You are God's plan A to care for the needs of the overlooked. And if you're not engaged yet, I mean, this sermon isn't super complicated. Get engaged. Like, do it. Go care for the overlooked. It's why we do Love Month. Not because we think we can do everything in February. It's because we, it gives you a chance to kind of get your feet wet and get started to make sure that we stop from shuffling on into the temple and notice Stare at the one that the rest of the world overlooks and do what we can to help them. Silver and gold have I none, but whatever I've got, I'll give you. Notice and care enough to help. It's not too late to jump in for Love Month. Come to men's breakfast this, this Saturday morning, the 20th. We'll feed your breakfast, and then afterwards we're going to go off and do a service project together as part of Love Month. Uh, deliver flowers. Uh, we're delivering flowers to shut-ins on February 26th. These are people that have been overlooked and forgotten by, the, by our world. But not by you. A lot of you, in fact, I see some people in this room that remember our shut-ins. Thank you for noticing the overlooked. If you want to be a part of that, this, this month, Friday, February 26, 1 o'clock, come by here. We'll give you an address and some flowers and send you off to go care for somebody and notice them. Doesn't have to be organized like that, though. Peter and John were just on their way to pray. They just had developed a habit of noticing those that others had overlooked. And this is what we see throughout 
the history of the church. Don't wait for someone else to notice because we're God's plan A to notice and care for the overlooked. And once you say, if you've said, I'm in, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm a part of Christ's church. Once you say that, then you no longer get to just shuffle by and ignore the hurting, the overlooked, the ignored, and the oppressed, because you're now the plan. You're the plan. One more thing I want you to notice about the noticing. One more thing I want you to notice. The first thing we notice about noticing is that we are God's plan A to notice those that the world overlooks. But the second thing I want you to notice is this. When we notice the overlooked, the world notices the church. When we notice the overlooked, the world notices the church. Look with me a little more at this story in Acts. I won't sing any more of the song, but I want to read a little more of the text. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. There's another C word. I tell you, this text is so cool. All these words for C. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? I'm going to pause right there for a second. Remember I talked about that, that relatively rarely used word way back when John and Peter stared at the Lame man, when they looked intently at the lame man, when they studied carefully the lame man, this world for kind of gawking. It's a relatively rarely used word in a text filled with all kinds of different Greek words that mean to see or observe or notice. And then that word pops up again right here. Luke's a very intentional writer. This is not on accident. Very intentionally, now, the same thing that Peter and John once did to the man, to stare intently and notice him, now Luke says, the crowds do to Peter and John. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we, again, another C word, we saw it. We're witnesses to it. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. This text is just filled with all these C words. It's so beautifully written. Peter and John noticed the guy that everybody else ignored. And they did what they could to help him. And when they noticed him, the world noticed them. Before that moment, they were just two other guys showing up in the temple to pray. 
over in the corner talking about their Messiah, you know. But when they noticed him, the world noticed them. And this is still true today, church. People notice when the church notices. When we fulfill God's plan, A, for the church, to be a church that notices, cares for, heals, and addresses the needs and longings of the overlooked, the rejected, and the oppressed, the world notices the church. Last week, I read Peter's description of the church. I love this description of the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love that description of the grandeur of the church. It just, it makes me think bigger about God's church. But just two verses later, Peter says this about the church. He says, you live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter says, live such good lives that even though they think you're wrong, they'll see your deeds and they'll praise your God. I think about this time of chaos that we're in right now, you know, with the masks and the distancing and the death and the disease and the mental health. It's just so hard. I think about this question. What will we remember from this time of chaos? What stories will we tell? And I have a theory. I have a theory about what stories we're going to tell three, five, ten years from now. Based off the kind of stories I hear people tell about past times of chaos. I have a theory that will tell two kinds of stories. I think people will tell the story of how they suffered. They'll tell about lost jobs in loneliness. They'll tell about missing out on their senior year of high school. They'll tell about missing out on the first grade. They'll tell about the death of loved ones, the struggles with physical health and mental health. I think people will tell the story of how they suffered. And I think people will tell the story of those who served. I think those are the two stories that will get told. Who showed up, who noticed, who cared, who remembered, who engaged, who called, who wrote a note, who prayed, who fed, who looked, who noticed the overlooked, and gave what they could to serve them. And the people who didn't show up and didn't serve, I don't think they'll get like bashed or anything. I don't think anybody's gonna go around trashing them. It's a crazy time, you know, what can you expect? But they won't get remembered either. Nobody's gonna tell the story of the 
neighbor who just kept to themselves and never checked on anybody to see how they were doing. Nobody's going to tell the story of the thousands of people who just walked by the lame man that day because the people who walked by, they did the normal thing to overlook and not care. COVID makes it so easy to not notice. We all feel a little trapped. We've all got our own burden right now, and so it's hard to notice other people's stuff. But that just means that when we notice, when the church rises up to its mandate, it just means that our noticing will be all the more noticed, right? In the darkness, the light is so easy to find. And this is just, this is just God's plan. God's plan for noticing the overlooked and forgotten and oppressed and hurting. God's plan is us. God's plan is you. We are God's plan A. And, and, and on this score, I, whenever I, when I hear that truth, I'm thinking like, God, you could have picked better because I'm not very good at this. And then God's word comes back and just says, yeah, there is no plan B. It's the church. That's, that's God's plan. So who is God calling you to notice, right? Like I said, not a very complicated sermon. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Maybe it is in the song. Maybe it's all in that word met. Everybody else walked by a lame man on the way. They met him. They noticed him. They looked at him and said, hey, you, look at us. And as soon as they noticed him and he noticed them, he knew that he was going to meet good news. Who is God calling you to notice and love? Open your heart in prayer. Maybe that's how you start. Just pray, God, help me to notice those that are overlooked. Open your eyes as you go about your life. This was just Peter and John's regular day. Who, is, who, is, who do you cross paths with in your regular routine that is hurting and in pain and you just haven't noticed? Open your calendar, right? Set aside some strategic time. Like just put it on the calendar. I'm going to use these two hours to care about the overlooked. I don't even know who it is yet, but that's what I'm going to do with those two hours. Find somebody who's overlooked and care about them. Somebody yesterday evening brought a loaf of bread to our house. And last night as I went to bed, I walked past the remains of that loaf of bread and, and I discovered two things. One, I discovered that I ate too much because it was huge and it's more than half gone by the time I went to bed last night. It was only in my house four hours and I ate half a loaf of bread. So that's a problem. So that's the first thing I noticed. But the second thing I noticed was this. I noticed how nice it was to be noticed. In fact, when they gave us the bread, they said, hey, I want you to know there'll be more bread in your future because you're on my list of people I'm taking bread to. And I'm just telling you, I went to bed and I felt better about life because I was on somebody's list and they were going to bring me bread. I felt a little worse about life because of how much of it I ate, but about the noticing part. I felt better. And that's you. You're God's plan A for noticing and serving the overlooked. And man, when you do it, they're going to be blessed. 
you're going to be blessed. And when the church notices the overlooked, the world notices the church, and they glorify God. Let me just pray that we do it. Let's pray. God, send us out from this place with new eyes. Eyes that see the overlooked. Eyes that notice what we would otherwise not notice and then actually care and love those that have been forgotten. Oh God, I thank you for the ways this truth is already at work in our church. We give you praise for that, God, but we are not satisfied. Instead, God, we ask that more and more every day you teach us to notice and care for the overlooked, to love the forgotten and ignored, to bring justice and mercy and care and love to the hurting, the oppressed, the lonely, the sick. Because, God, you noticed us, may we, as your people, Notice and love others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.